0: This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson, bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis.
1: The insane illusions of the woke world. What do you see when you watch the television news footage of the quote-unquote mostly peaceful demonstrations that have taken place over the last year? Like most people, you probably notice the fires first, burning buildings, police cars, and the barricades are all over the place. However, the next time you see some of this film, look at the mostly young people doing the protesting. These are the haunted faces, hostages of anger and rage. If you ask them why they were so angry, they would probably say something about racism and oppression. But yet, the vast majority of those protesters are white. Their clothing is that of the middle class. That means that according to critical race theory, they are amongst the oppressors. There is good reason to pity those caught up in the insanity of the impulses that the world describes by their four-letter word, woke. They are spending their lives working towards an illusion of social justice. It gnaws at their souls, dooming them to be permanently angry unless they can escape its spell. This episode of the Return to Order Moment examines the bizarre world of wokeness. We begin with an essay by Mr. John Horvat. Is mom's apple pie a symbol of oppression?
0: There is nothing more American than mom's apple pie. The image of the hot sugar-crusted pie is seared on the memory of countless Americans. Variations of this tasty dessert belong to all American mothers, regardless of race or ethnic origin. However, leave it to the progressive demagogues to find a way to tear down this cultural icon. They cannot let an apple be an apple. They deconstruct an apple pie to always find a hidden racist or oppressive narrative. Apple pie should be enjoyed for what it is, a simple dessert. The left rejects the truth that the apple pie is just an easy-to-make dessert. Instead, it denounces what it calls quote-unquote food injustice. This sour exercise consists of tracing food origins and reading oppressive narratives into them. These same people will look at modern food chains and find exploitative labor and other practices embedded in their production processes. Perhaps because it is an American icon, the left's food police attack the apple, claiming it is guilty of genocide. In the kangaroo court of food injustice, no one is allowed to speak in the apple's defense. Raj Patel, author of Stuffed and Starved, Markets, Powers, and the Hidden Battle for the World's Food System, makes a ruthless case against the apple and apple pie. In an article in The Guardian, he claims the apple has nothing American about it. The fruit tree was imported from Europe and imposed upon the natives. Its introduction was part of, quote, a vast and ongoing genocide of indigenous people, unquote. The author does not even allow Europeans to claim the apple as their own. Long ago, apples came from Central Asia and found their way into Europe through trade, and presumably without genocide. Genocide. The apple became an important food in both Asia and Europe for millennia. For centuries, the apple steered clear of offending and oppressing people. The case against the apple gets serious with its introduction to America by the hated Spaniards in the early 16th century. Mr. Patel claims the fruit became a tool of colonization wherever it went. The apple could not remain an apple, it became a sign of occupation, not healthy nourishment. Pioneers and settlers imposed it on the peoples they oppressed. Things got worse for the apple as it took root and flourished in the native soil of the English colonies. Colonial officials saw the trees as a sure sign that the land had been, quote unquote, improved and taken from the wilderness. The author says the trees became, quote, Markers of colonized property, unquote, and symbolized intruders who uprooted indigenous communities. Unlike the leftist theorists, most colonists saw only apple trees. They were unaware of their crime. Indeed, the apple can claim that it is the most cultivated fruit worldwide, celebrated by all peoples and cultures. Wherever it goes, it has kept the doctor away with its health benefits and excellent taste. In America, the Europeans introduced the tree that crossed with the native crab apple to secure an abundant and varied food supply to inhabitants that often experienced food insecurity. Alas, nothing about the apple's many benefits is allowed in its defense. However... A closer look reveals that the real culprit on the docket at Food Injustice Court is not the poor apple. The left hates property, not the apple. Patel presents the damning evidence by claiming that, quote, Apple trees have become markers of civilization, which is to say property, unquote. Rousseau could not have said it better. Cursed be all property that establishes civilization wherever it takes hold. Cursed be all apple trees that mark a property, making it beautiful and productive. Property is the foundation for a civilization that provides stability for the family and allows traditions to flourish. Private property is where apples can be produced, homes with mothers can be built, and pie recipes can be handed down. That is why the left hates private property, which it calls theft. Property lies at the center of its class struggle dialectic between the haves and have-nots. Marx said that his whole doctrine could be summarized as the abolition of private property. When put in the context of an attack on private property, the Poor Apple's framing and canceling makes sense. The left's narratives turn all property markers into instruments of oppression. It hates all signs of Christian civilization that work to improve fallen human nature. All situations of tribal egalitarian misery are turned into idyllic fantasies of the quote-unquote noble savage. In its desire to level everything, the left leaves no stone unturned or apple tree standing. The charges against the apple are absurd. However, this is no laughing matter, as the radical left is deadly serious. Nothing escapes the cruel tyranny of the food injustice thugs,
1: not even mom's apple pie. Surely, a society that sees a symbol of evil in something so delightful as apple pie cannot be a sane and happy place. Mr. Horvath continues this theme in the second essay in this podcast. Is Woke Broke? The Perils of Living in a Parallel Universe.
0: If there is any word guaranteed to enhance a conversation or article, it is Woke. Most people are not exactly sure what it means, but they sense that using the expression sends a message of being aware of the latest trends. Even the most convinced conservatives realize that a slight reference to the word establishes credentials for commentary. The buzzword lends itself to many variations. It gives rise to great awokenings, wokeness, and being the woke est. It allows for dazzling displays of wit since it rhymes with broke, smoke, joke, and other oak words. The word stands out since its adjective form is not only politically but grammatically incorrect the left uses the word in earnest as if it really means something. The right employs it in jest to highlight its absurdity. Everyone in between uses woke in order not to appear hopelessly unwoke. Its usage is a grand theatrical spectacle which, to paraphrase Shakespeare, is full of sound bite and fury, signifying nothing. Merriam-Webster defines the word to mean being, quote, aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice, unquote. What that means is left to the imagination. Most sense that it means falling into step with the ready-to-go narrative offered by critical race theorists by which just about everything can be labeled racist. The big problem with woke is that it is not connected to the real world. Everyone knows it is theater, but dares not say it. Like so many other liberal buzzwords, it inhabits a parallel universe divorced from reality. At the risk of sounding woke-ish, the word is in trouble. Woke is indeed broke. In an interview with Vox, Democratic strategist James Carville surprisingly admitted this brokenness he claims that the Democrats are alienating a lot of people with their woke arrogance. Woke users are, quote, people in faculty lounges and fancy colleges who use a different language than ordinary people, unquote. The woke crowd comes up with words and expressions that wow the coastal urban enclaves. However, expressions like Latinx and communities of color are not used by the people they describe. Ordinary people can't make sense of this pseudo-elite verbiage that is much more virtue-signaling than genuine concern for the less fortunate. Mr. Carville says that Democrats need to communicate, quote, without using jargony language that's unrecognizable to most people, including most black people, by the way, unquote. The expressions might look good in op-eds, CNN commentaries, and political discourse. However, The former Clinton advisor believes that it would be better if, quote, the language used should be something that regular Americans can understand, unquote. Mr. Carville's observations highlight the problem with all liberal universes. They are based on fantasies that distort daily realities. These theories are shrouded in terms that regular Americans cannot understand. When these delusional theories become policy, They have disastrous results, shattering the lives of individuals and increasing government control. Woke is a doomed word, since it expresses a distorted reality. It is based upon critical race theory that frames the debate to favor a class struggle narrative dividing humanity into oppressors and oppressed. Like all Marxist lingo, woke fans discontent. It deepens resentments instead of healing them. The left's conversation does not appeal to ordinary Americans because it is much less attuned to human nature and the natural desire for unity. The right often includes an appeal to Christian charity in its message. When charity rules in a social order, individuals become self sacrificing and concerned for the common good. The church's action teaches unity in Christ, not division. The perplexing thing about concepts like wokeness is that promoters often perceive their lack of foundation. The left does not seem to care if its schemes work or not. Its target is the destruction of Christian civilization and the moral law that sustains such an order. The end goal justifies any means. The left has always lived on labels and delusions. Rather than change their skewed views... Liberals deny the problem and attach themselves to the next reincarnation of their nefarious doctrines. Wokeness is no exception to this rule. Quote, Wokeness is a problem and everyone knows it, Mr. Carville admits. It's hard to talk to anybody today, and I talk to lots of people in the Democratic Party who doesn't say this, but they don't want to say it out loud, unquote. Woke may be broke. But in leftist parallel universes, there is always the next illusion ready to wreak havoc on society as it tumbles
1: down the slope to Marxist misery. Given all of this disillusion, it is reasonable to predict that the world of fine arts would fall victim to the weird and woke. For generations, so-called modern art has butchered everything we see, hear, and touch. In the galleries and museums devoted to modern art, people stand around and discuss the artist's motivations while they pretend to see something in disordered blotches and lines. One thing, however, is peculiar. None of its admirers ever say that this so-called art is beautiful. In fact, beauty seems to be the farthest thing from the minds of either the artists or the presumed admirers of these bizarre creations. Mr. Horvat looks at an example of this trend in his essay, In a world of invisible sculptures, everything is crazy. If
0: there is an image that expresses the state of the world, it might be the work of Salvatore Garau, a 67-year-old artist from Santa Giusta, Italy. He specializes in quote-unquote immaterial art. His sculptures do not exist materially, but only in his mind. The art collectors who buy his pieces get a material paper certificate to record the sale of their piece of nothing According to Italy 24 News, the author's catalog illustrates his sculptures as, quote, absolute white space, unquote, that can be placed in any unobstructed place. The worst thing about the Italian artist is that he refuses to admit that he is selling nothing. He is not a con man artist out of the emperor's new clothes. One gets the impression that he fully believes that the quote-unquote vacuum he creates is full of energies that he placed there to populate the nothingness. He really thinks that by focusing his quote-unquote density of thought upon an empty point, he can confer being upon this space, giving it a title and a price tag. One of his works is aptly titled Buddha in Contemplation. And consists of a tape outline on a sidewalk, where the masterpiece is supposedly placed. One of his works, titled "Io sono" or "I am," sold for eighteen thousand three hundred dollars. The Italian artist comes to mind when looking at many things that pass for reality these days. All it takes for someone to create something is to imagine it. It need not have a material foundation. Everyone is expected to believe in the imaginary object without question. One example of this revolutionary magic is critical race theory that holds that race is the sole prism through which history, economics, sociology, science, and all aspects of life must be seen. Its promoters will allow no other explanation for how society works and always frame the debate to favor this class struggle narrative, pitting one race against another. Racism exists and must be combated. There is no problem denouncing it where it appears. The problem is finding it where it is not. While race may be a prism to see reality, it can never be the prism. Thus, CRT promoters see quote-unquote systemic racism everywhere, even where it is not. They claim racism infuses everything in society to the point that most people are unaware of their inherent racism and can do nothing to rid themselves of their supposed biases. Like Mr. Carral, it is enough to focus the energies of CRT upon any void and abracadabra, It becomes whatever the promoters want it to be. The goal of CRT is not to remedy the concrete racial problems, but to make racism quote-unquote systemic. That is to say, invisible, abstract, and ambiguous. In typical Marxist fashion, this tactic facilitates overturning the whole system. To support critical race theory, Scholars create phantom science and history to give substance to the nothingness of their claims. The 1619 Project, for example, creates a ghost history based on data that even liberal historians have problems swallowing. Even the most unlikely disciplines can be turned into invisible racism, mathematics, science, medicine, and language, Like Mr. Garao, the CRT promoters sincerely believe their invisible findings to be true. However, only the label of racism marks the empty space of these theories. These claims are validated by liberal followers who grovel to see who can be the wokest. The quote-unquote transgender revolution is another example of the imagination gone wild. It, too, represents something unreal— The delusional minds of those wishing to look like the opposite sex with or without cosmetic surgery are its reality. Not content with quote-unquote transitioning from one sex to another, the revolutionaries of this movement create dozens of quote-unquote genders and corresponding pronouns to accommodate these flights from reality. The physical evidence is immaterial in these cases. However, a person self-identifies is accepted as real. A newly quote-unquote gendered person might even get a health certificate to validate a new identity claim. However, the reality is no different from the owners of Mr. Jorow's invisible sculptures who end up with a piece of paper. A decadent society demands that all pretend its fantasies are real. Such wild imaginings extend to other fields as well. There is no limit to what the imagination can conjure. However, another sector of society makes invisible sculptures, phantom racism, and imagined quote-unquote genders possible. That sector is the liberal establishment that accepts these fantasies and pours money into the projects that keep them alive. Without this vast sector of receptacles, the artists and scholars would be isolated lunatics struggling to survive in a cruel world. However, with the liberal establishment, the wacky fringe suddenly becomes mainstream. Indeed, management teams in corporate America have embraced critical race theory and are implementing it in the workplace. They do this knowing that it alienates workers and consumers who reject the artificial Marxist class struggle theory. Government agencies, education, and the military have adopted the LGBTQ plus cause infusing into their programs despite the protests of concerned Americans and civil servants. The liberal establishment of quote unquote enlightened individuals is the most demented of all sectors. This often wealthy and influential audience prepares the climate for erroneous ideas to propagate. An invisible artist like Mr. Corral is meaningless without adoring fans who buy pieces of nothingness for over $18,000. Professors teaching crazy theories only succeed when liberal students crowd into their lecture halls the liberal establishment creates the illusion of a massive consensus that worships the latest trends. In innocent times, all it took was a tiny child to declare that the emperor had no clothes. But today, the child would be declared unfit and the parents blamed for abuse. People need to engage aggressively in the battle for the culture that now denies even reality. What is required is the courage to confront and break the liberal consensus that threatens the nation. The future belongs to those who have the sense, daring, and mettle to declare art cannot be invisible, race is not the prism that determines all things, people cannot create their own reality.
1: This concludes The Insane Illusions of the Woke World. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book which spells out our motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.